Hi, I'm Bill Thompson and welcome to the second edition of Front Row on 2LO Rebooted. I'm sure my friend John Wilson won't mind me borrowing the title of the BBC Radio 4 art strand I often hear him on, even if our focus here is on people who have technical rather than artistic achievements to talk about. One such is Libby Miller, a producer and developer in BBC R&D. I first met Libby a few years ago when she was leading the BBC's participation in a wide-ranging EU project called NoTube, which looked at how to bring web and TV closer together via shared data models and content across multiple devices. As an expert in the semantic web, she was the right person to consider how structured data and television might intersect. Still working in BBC R&D, her interest in how we might find television we want to watch and even share is undiminished, as I found out when I sat down at her desk on the fifth floor at 1 Euston Square. I began by asking whether the fundamental problem was simply that we all find it hard to find something we want to watch. So we found a number of of problems. Um, That's not the only one. Um, One of the ways we wanted to explore this kind of possibility without kind of getting constrained by current views of technology was to start from a different place. So the place we started from was based on some research we did using barb data that about a third of minutes watched are watched with other people. So that goes quite against the, 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 the idea that um, all your content is delivered to your personalised device and it's all personalised to you. Um, because if you're watching with someone else, there's going to be negotiation, there's going to be planning, there's going to be those kinds of interactions in order to figure out what you want to watch. And when we did the ethnographic research, we realised that a lot of those negotiations ended in failure, especially um, that perhaps not so much with couples who tend to have a kind of process that they follow especially with children, especially with children of different ages and adults. And they, so that's one of the things that we discovered. But we also, because we put this kind of, we went for this kind of watching together approach, we realised that um, a lot of uh, people really want to be physically together. So they like to be in the same room. So sometimes when that negotiation fails, they'll sit there and they'll watch um, different videos or be doing different things, but be physically in the same room. So we found out a bunch of stuff like this, and it was it, it's a, it was a little bit at an angle to what you might expect because of this approach that we took. So so we've identified a few different ways people want to watch TV, and uh, kind of took it from there. And then when we iterated at the V&A, we found out a whole bunch more stuff. So so a lot of stuff came out about privacy, and although people accepted that the but they were being tracked in order to recommend things to pe- to each other to them rather, they weren't that particularly happy about it so they expected it but they didn't like it and also when people were recommended peep things they didn't um what should i say when people were recommended things they liked to know the context in which it was recommended as well so they felt that they were missing out and they didn't trust machines to make recommendations for them so this is despite the fact that they're getting recommendations all the time and so on so we are trying to think about what television is going to be like in 10 to 15 years when there's perhaps no schedule and there's huge amounts of content and people still have to navigate that all that stuff but don't have the cues, the scheduling, the channels perhaps that they have now to make those decisions. So what we're trying to do is understand all the different directions that, that, that television could go in by making lots and lots of different prototypes and design fictions in order to get really good feedback from people about what they want and what they don't want with these kinds of television prototypes. So one of the things that we really wanted to do is understand, uh, there's something called the cone of possibility that's a term used to kind of describe 
the way future technology might go. So it can go in lots of different directions, but it's likely to go in one particular one. But because we're trying to explore that space of possibility in a very cheap way, um, we make these things called design fictions, which are objects that make you think that, that something could exist. So, um, for example, I showed you earlier some bees. Uh, so I showed you a packet of bees, which were actually um, a homemade package with some instructions and some earplugs painted to look like bees. Yeah, it should be explained. These were not real bees buzzing away. No, they're, they're not real away. bees. They, they, are, they are actually headphones, uh, head earplugs. But the idea was to get people thinking about how they felt about something tracking what they watched on television. In this case, it was bees. Um, and, and, and the fiction here is that the, the, a swarm of these bees just fly around your living room watching what you're watching, listening to you, and then using advanced AI to, to infer your, your viewing habits and recommend things to you. Exactly. And, uh, and obviously we probably be quite expensive to make micro-drones that could do that. It's not outside the technological possibilities. But, but just having the package there makes people think about how, how they would feel about it if they already existed. These bees also uh, communicate with other people's bees and are television compatible and so on, so they can choose for you. But it's that, it's that leap of imagination that helps if you have a physical object that, that appeals, very appealing to people and that helps them think these things about how these things would fit into their lives. And you've gone on beyond just design fictions to actually build some sort of working prototypes or what you, you call them sort of half prototypes. Half resolution, yes. So this is a term um, Jasmine Cox, my colleague from the North, came up with when she saw them. And she said, because she says they're like... Um, you can, if you squint, you can sort of see what they do. So they only work a bit. So again, we were trying to make loads. We made nine in about ten working days. Uh, a team of, uh, I think, between six and eight, depending on which day it was. And so we've made lots of them. we made physical things, and they work a bit. So you can squint, and you can sort of see what they would do if they were real. So that's, that's kind of the idea. And one you showed me uh, earlier was a, like a slot machine where you have a big red button, you hit it, and it scrolls through lots of programmes until it finds one that it thinks you might like to watch. Yeah, so again, this was um, tackling this, this issue of it's hard for people to make decisions, and it's not fun. And especially when there are other people, the with other people, they are just... There's this boring thing where someone else is scrolling through either an EPG or Netflix, and it's just awful. So to make that process fun, and my colleague Ant came up with this idea, and you just press the big red button, and then you get a load of randomised programmes. And of course, it could be an app or something on your telly, but it's, because it's physical, it is more fun, and it's more sort of engaging. And, and, and the, the, the last one you showed me, which is gamifying the process of choosing television, it's, it's, it's Cards Against Television, where... You've got different selection criteria, and you, you play your card, and then the system will find you a program that matches all your criteria. This sounds like a remarkably useful thing to have around. Uh, this is a really very appealing thing, and it, probably you don't even need it to be connected to your television, though it helps. So my colleague Tim came up with this one quite early on, uh, and the, the idea is you're just making your preferences explicit. So instead of me guessing that what you want to watch, then you actually you, you, we make it into a game where you actually tell me. So I play a card for documentary, you play a card for less than 30 minutes, I play a card for about something historical, you play a card with jokes. We try, <laughs> we try to find something that will work for both of us. Exactly, exactly, yeah. But then you put RFID tags on the back, so you actually have a system which allows you to put the cards up against the screen and your television will try to find something that satisfies those criteria. Yeah, yeah, so that's what we did last time. And um, 
what's what's amazing is actually using a Raspberry Pi has made all of these possible. So we can even we can attach a remote control, we can make it look like a television, we can attract, attach RFID reader, and it's really really easy to do. So without that, we wouldn't be able to make them physical. They'd have to be pretend. Right. So that's that's an interesting thing. So is that then changing your design practice because you can actually build something which half works, as, as Jasmine said? You can then move very quickly on from something where your potential users or the people you're, you're talking to have to imagine everything into something where they can see enough you know, of the of, of what what it might be. Does that speed up your process? Does that change the outcomes? Do you think that's having an impact on the way you do your research? Uh, very much so. I mean, previously, if if we'd have wanted to make a television, let's say, or or a you know a a set-top box or something like that it would have taken us years and we would have needed it's been very expensive and we wouldn't have been able to you know experiment in this way or get this kind of valuable physical feedback in the same way there's nothing like putting something in front of people to get good feedback and what's actually been terrific is to be able to just do loads of them put them in front of colleagues and other people and just try and and just capture what they say and then use that to iterate again and as we finished, I asked Libby briefly to tell me how she got here. I have a PhD in economics, but that turned out to be a bit of a mistake. And after that, I had been working at Bristol University. I got into a fairly early stage of the web there. And then after that, I ended up working for a startup and then the BBC, initially on a European project and then lots of different projects here. So it's been a bit of an eclectic uh, career thing. Yes. <laughs> Libby Miller there and if you know anyone who'd like an eclectic career thing then send them over to the BBC career site you can find out more about Libby's work and the rest of R&D on their public facing website on Gateway or on Confluence a lot of R&D's work is also published on GitHub so you can even play with it yourself so having heard about the potential future of television interfaces Let's look at a different sort of interface, not between viewer and programme, but between the BBC's public service and commercial operations. Stuart Page is Director of Product and Systems for Commercial Corporate Systems. That's technology for worldwide studios, homepage and marketing and audiences. And in an office downstairs in Television Centre, just round the corner from a cafe that seemed to be doing quite good business, I asked him about the big challenges he sees ahead. On the commercial side, there's two um, two sort of big programs of work. We're, we're obviously taking studios from a from public service into the commercial world, and, and we're, we're we're putting together a roadmap that looks at the systems and services that the production teams use, because we've got to become more efficient. So one of the things that studios is taking is a legacy set of technology, because it's been part of public service for a long time. And we've got to now address that and get the right level of cost and the right systems and services in place in, in, in a pretty short period of time. So that's, that's one challenge we're going to have over the next 18 months. And then, again, on the commercial side, the worldwide systems and services need to, um, we need to do a lot of transformation around how we deliver content across the globe, and the, the, the deal process, the end-to-end deal process needs to be refined and reformed. And that's going to involve quite a lot of uh, work across everything from finance systems through to rights management, payaways, content metadata, and everything in between. So, so yeah, we're, 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 there is, a, there is a, a, a lot of work to do on the commercial side. And then on the homepage and marketing and audiences side of things, it's all about content discovery. Right. And this idea of how do we how do we serve 
the underserved audiences that we have, how do we serve content, how do we make content readily available, whether it's on the iPlayer, whether it's, whether it's radio, whether it's on, on the websites, and surface that content in a way and deliver it in a way that uh, is a lot easier than it is at the moment. As part of the Project Mango process, obviously, yeah. worldwide technology was brought in with the public service. And, and so that must be a particular challenge for you, yeah. having to meld those two cultures together. Yeah, so, so BBC Worldwide uh, obviously is all about making money. It's a commercial business and um, it's all about flogging content around the world and uh, a whole series of channels that we have um, which we are sell advertising against. The, the, the approach to technology is very much one around um, how can we provide information and content uh, to, to our, our customers but information to our sales teams so that um, they're, they're best informed around uh, how they sell and who they sell to around the globe, and it's a global operation. Yeah, so it's a particular orientation around Absolutely. commercial provision, and, and that presumably means you know, accurate data, really good forecasting, absolutely reliable systems. Absolutely, and uh, P&L, so uh, you know, everything... Oh yes, of course, you've got to make we money. Ha we have to make money, so there's a lot of pressure on cost. Um, I, obviously, there's pressure on cost across the whole of the BBC, but... Um, but yeah, there's, um, you know, as in any commercial business, it's about making money. And in this case, returning as much of that to the public service as possible. Yeah. If you've got a you know, homepage, you've got marketing and audiences, you've got worldwide technology, those are very different groups of people that, that they are now working under one group, sort of with one sense of direction. They are, and, and it's been quite fascinating. And what I've tried to do is... Um, I use the word cross-pollinate quite a lot, and uh, I think it, it sort of captures what we're trying to do, and I'm, I'm trying to encourage uh, the, the old teams from worldwide um, to work much closer with, and I think we're probably, well, we are the first line of business, really, where I've got management that is looking after both public service and, and commercial lines of business. So we're... We're bringing these people together, and it is fascinating to see just the different approaches that, that these teams have, different outlooks, different ways of operating. Different job titles, different, different job backgrounds, titles, different skill sets. And a different culture. So, so it's, um, you know, it, it's, and I think when we talk about culture in the BBC, one thing I always stress, my background has always been, I've worked in commercial media for too long, um, so some hard-nosed publishing companies and media companies, one thing the BBC does have is a fantastic culture, whether it's public service or worldwide, it is a lovely culture to work in. Yeah. So I often sometimes sit there and hear people go, well, you know, the culture needs changing. I think it just needs tweaking more than anything else. And then do you also, are you tasked with looking to the sort of near and far future? One of really interesting areas, the conversational UI, which um, is really starting to, you know, we've, we've now got a steering group in place, which is always a good sign. So things are moving on, you know. It's, um, if a committee has a been committee formed, has been the formed. BBC is taking it seriously. <laughs> exactly. So um, when you look at the devices that are coming out, we've, we're sort of, we've got a bit of first mover advantage. So we're providing news for Amazon. Um, and there's lots of conversations going on. Obviously, Google devices will be starting to appear in the very near future in the UK so it's, um, it's a fascinating area and one that I think nobody really knows exactly where and how it's going to sort of evolve over the next short term but there's also a really interesting commercial line to that as well 
impact as to how can we uh, monetize the, those conversational UIs across the globe with our content. Right, so, so what could be fed in there? Yeah, so that, I think that's a good example of something that probably wouldn't have happened before Mango. It would have been worldwide going off doing their own thing and, trying, and having conversations and public service doing their own thing. Now there's a much more joined up approach and I think that's, that's one really good example of where Mango's paying dividends. Stuart Page there. And if you want to know more about the conversational interfaces Stuart mentioned, including the Amazon Echo, Google Home or Siri, I discussed this with Henry Cook in the last edition of Front Row that's available online, and there's also a great Academy podcast about the same subject. Well, that's it for this edition. There'll be more Front Row next week, and meanwhile, do look out for additional programmes with formats inspired by well-known BBC favourites, here on 2LO Rebooted from BBC Design and Engineering.